0: everyone, welcome back to Immigrantly. I am your host, Sadia Khan. Before I introduce our today's guest, I want to rant a bit. So bear with me. As most of you who listen to Immigrantly know that it's an indie podcast and we really need your help to sustain it. And I'm assuming if you are coming back every week or every other week to listen to our conversation, you probably like our walk. Here's the thing. We don't sensationalize our stuff. You guys know that. We are not associated with the network and we are not big enough to have sponsors. So it basically leaves us with one option and that is to ask our listeners to help. Now you can support Immigrantly in a number of ways. You can support our Patreon, subscribe to it um, for as low as $3 a month. You can do one-time donation to GoFundMe that we have, or you can simply buy our merch, our beautiful tote bag. Seriously, it matches. Every penny counts. So please do consider supporting us if you want us to come back every week and bring these incredible narratives and stories to you. And now to our today's guest. Now, from an activist's perspective, I've always valued progressive ideals. And for me, the reason or the answer is simple it resonates with me because, at the core, those ideals ensure equal rights for everyone. Our today's guest, Momita Ahmed, is also part of the progressive movement. She is a community activist, civic leader, and a candidate for the New York City Council. And she's not here to stick to the status quo.
1: We need to wage a political revolution, and that means bottom-up organizing and doing bottom-up organizing means electing people into these party positions like district leader, like judicial delegate, like uh, county committee. These are positions that make up the executive office of the Democratic Party, the approach of that local Democratic Party. We have to vote with our heart and we have to vote for the person that's gonna make our lives better.
0: Momita has made it very clear who she's fighting for, the working class, immigrants, and anyone who is affected by the disparities in our economic system.
1: This is a family of five. So these are the grandparents, two parents, and then one child living in a one-bedroom apartment. The dad's uh, a bus driver, and the mom is studying to be a nurse. So this is the realities of working-class immigrant communities they are living in small apartments and they're making ends meet
0: and we need to take care of them isn't that wonderful what's striking about mumita's work is that her advocacy is based on her lived experiences after immigrating to the US at the age of 8 yeah 8 she watched her parents make sacrifice after sacrifice to be able to afford basic things like quality education. And now she's fighting for working families so that they can afford things like education, healthcare, and a home.
1: I think about people like my parents who don't speak Hmm. English very well. And I think about the anxiety they must feel if they're out of work right now and they can't pay rent.
0: Her goal is interesting. It's to bring people together through shared experiences and in her words, working people must come together because when they do it leads to extraordinary things she and i talked about a host of issues we talked about climate change we in fact talked about something very interesting how recycling is not as effective as you may think
1: if everybody did it, it would make sense, like recycling. But at the same time, mm. it's like, you can't get everybody to do it. I, I'm not saying I'm, yeah. not, I'm not against recycling, just so you know.
0: We also delved into holistic approach to looking at issues. She looks at issues globally. We talked about housing crisis and being a tenant, how she feels about it and what has she experienced.
1: We need a city that's going to be language accessible, that's going to provide legal support to tenants. That is something that's basic, especially during a
0: pandemic. So it is an incredible interview. I am so happy that I connected with her and we had such a dynamic, wonderful conversation. So let's get started. So, welcome to Immigrantly. I'm so excited you're here.
1: I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, you're running for city council and there is so much to unpack, but I want to start with the basics and this may sound a bit uninformed or naive. But I feel like many people don't really know what the role of city council is, right? We, we see campaigns and we see names on the ballot, but we don't really know what the intricacies of or the operational side of it is or how it impacts us. So can you just break it down for us um, what it means to run for city council and how does it impact an ordinary individual?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very good question. I think that more people need to learn what it is so that we could proactively vote in these positions. City Council is really important for um, in a small town. It ranges from just like one or two people to a big city where we have 51 City Council members. What City Council essentially does is work for the constituents They are in charge of doing constituency services, which uh, range from taking calls about their plumbing not working to like, Hmm. I'm getting evicted by a landlord. What do I do? I need help. I need legal support. Or it could be just, you know, from fixing a pothole in the neighborhood and it's ruining my tire to I I'm struggling right now during the pandemic. I am undocumented and I don't have healthcare access. What do I do? And so these are the range of questions and um, issues that city council has to deal with. And the city council's job is also to run, and in some cases, not all cases, but in some cities hmm. run something called participatory budgeting, which is bringing people together and oh. figuring out how they would like to, what they would like to fund in their neighborhood. And the most important thing that the city council does is pass a budget, the budget that the mayor approves. And so mm. that's really important because the city council gets millions of dollars worth of discretionary fund. They get to decide where to put this money. And, you know, as you know, the city also gets million, millions of dollars, right? Right. And Hmm. they all have to collectively decide um, where to put that money. How much of it is going to go to schools? How much of it Hmm. is going to go to hospitals? How much of it is going to go towards after-school programs or youth programs, right? How much of it is going to go to helping our seniors,
0: our kids? This is so interesting because it seems like it has huge impact on everybody, the way you're describing it. And Mumita, what I really liked about your campaign, apart from you being a progressive, (laughs) is that it's rooted in the idea of community, you know, bringing working families together through shared experiences and mobilizing people towards a shared goal. Now, I know most of what you're doing and what you're aiming for are your lived experiences. You've talked about being a renter, um, you've you've talked about discrimination based on religion, based on ethnicity, um, skin color. Why do you think it's important to run campaign on this idea of togetherness and how do you tie it to your own lived experiences?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very important question. Um, right now, especially during a pandemic, what we need is togetherness, we need solidarity, we need compassion for one another. And so when we come together, there's Mm -hmm. this power, there's this feeling of I'm not alone in this, that's really powerful and healing. And right now, when so many people are suffering, it's really important to embody those ideals of togetherness, community, and not individualism, Or uh, you know, self selfishness, (laughs) for a lack of a better word. Um, It's really, really important because in order to tackle the crises, many crises that we're facing today, everybody needs to come together. Everybody needs to be in sync with one another, and so that's why it's important for me to push my campaign and not talk about myself, but really talk about the constituents. Really talk about us, all of us, our stories. Hmm. Because I'm a renter, I understand the millions of people right now who are hmm. facing evictions. We have 19 million people who are at risk of evictions. We've already had the first eviction start in the last couple of days when we have a dark winter coming. Through my work, doing mutual aid work, hmm. I have... An idea, I have a perspective and lens that other people who are not renters, who haven't felt housing insecure their entire lives, they don't have it. They might empathize with it, but it's different from empathizing and actually living that experience, actually feeling those worries.
0: So Mamita, here I want to talk a little bit more about landlord-tenant relationship, dynamic, I believe it's pretty skewed, especially in New York City, where rents are so high. And since you have firsthand knowledge of that relationship, can you talk a little bit about what it means and how it impacts individuals, especially renters? And how do we change that?
1: As a renter, I think about people like my parents who don't speak Hmm. English very well. And I think about the anxiety they must feel if They are out of work right now, and they can't pay rent. After the moratorium lifts, they're they're going to housing court, perhaps, because they're being sued by the Mm -hmm. landlord. They're terrified. Mm -hmm. They're petrified because they don't know how to articulate or advocate for themselves. The system that we have, we do not provide renters with legal counsel when they go to housing Mm -hmm. court. We don't have, we don't provide lawyers for them. That is not something our city council member in my district has done. What we have is one of the worst landlords, the Zara Realty Corporation. They have called ice on their undocumented tenants. They have, Oh wow! I know somebody who has gone to housing court with them and it wasn't a pleasant experience. And so I think about those people my parents are lucky that they have someone, maybe they have a daughter like me who who will fight for them, right? But even then, that itself is a struggle. Like having to explain to my parents, like, hey, you gotta fight for yourself. We need to be on the offense. Like this is education, right? And yeah. the struggles of immigrant communities and families. And we like I feel like I can really speak to that. Because I've had to deal with that with my parents. And I cannot Mm -hmm. imagine what other people who don't have young, uh, you know, a a son or a daughter who can perhaps talk on their behalf, right? We Mm -hmm. need a city council that's going to be language accessible, that's going to provide legal support to tenants. That is something that's basic, especially during a pandemic when so many of them are at risk, at risk of eviction, and they don't know what to do.
0: Talking about pandemic, uh, Mumita, how has politics evolved uh, because of pandemic? I'm assuming you are, since you're running for city council, you would want to meet people and share your vision and have that personal connection. Unfortunately, you can't have that, right? So how has that dynamic changed? And are you relying on other tools to communicate with constituents?
1: Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it really... <laughs> It's been a drawback for us, uh, the pandemic. But at the same time, this is not new to me. I actually ran for district leader in the district in June. During that time, I started the Queens Mutual Aid Network and me and my colleagues, we were delivering food and groceries and medicine to hundreds of families across Queens. So people are aware of the activism of or the work that I've done and Mm. my friends have done. Um, in the community, and I've gone on media, Balandishi and ethnic media to talk about the issues facing immigrant communities. But it would be great to actually have a face-to-face conversation with folks, which is now much harder to do because of the pandemic so we've mostly switched over to calling people and phone banking them mm-hmm. through uh use you know using the good old fashioned way we're also utilizing relational organizing because as a south asian and fellow south asian you understand that you have the auntie network <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's great it works the auntie network helped me get thousands of people out to vote or to fill out an absentee ballot when I ran for district leader. So um, Mm -hmm. I have five aunts. They know a lot of people. And so we're really utilizing relational organizing for my
0: campaign. So talking about your background, and as you said, you're South Asian, you moved to the US from Bangladesh when you were only eight years old, right? Yes. And so for me, I moved to the US as an adult, and I've always been curious about the experiences of those who move at such a young age, because at that time, you're literally navigating two different cultures. What are some of the impacts of moving to a different country at such young age? Are there any stories that you can share with us?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a it's it's a very confusing experience, and at times and very stressful mm. and terrifying, to be honest. And this is why I really stress mental health um, and mental health mm. programs. Speaking about communities, immigrant communities, right? Speaking to immigrant communities mm. because when I got here, it was such a confusing experience for me, and at times very terrifying. I was bullied for my name, and um, that is something that stuck with me for years. Every single person I've ever known in my life had butchered my name (laughs) when I couldn't really speak English very well. I was bullied when I got here. Mm. Um, And then also, I remember this one incident that was really, really horrible was uh, my entire class one time singling me Mm. out because my book bag smelled like curry Mm. and that was I was nine years old so it was the year after we got here and I remember just like crying and just hating my parents and like the resentment towards them and on top of that like having to have to translate for them at the bank at the groceries Mm. that like literally as soon as I learned English I was so happy like wow now I can finally like all of a sudden I'm like I can communicate with my peers and I'm I'm not and I'm not being otherized anymore right but then that meant the responsibility of having to translate for my parents wherever they went and just seeing and witnessing the discrimination that they Uh, receive because they aren't able to advocate Mm. for themselves because of their poor English. And Mm. then being Mm. a kid and telling my parents like, hey, you have to stand up for yourself and them not and then saying, no, 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 we can't, you know, we don't want to rock the boat. Right. That really it just I always felt like my parents should have fought back And so that was like a terrible lesson for me to run. Uh, I mean, a terrible (laughs) lesson for me as a child, because it kind of conflicted with what they were telling me, which is you always have to fight back. You always have to stand up for yourself, right?
0: Yeah, but why do you think, like from your perspective, why do you think they were not fighting back? I'm sure they had their reasons, right? But what do you think was one reason that, resonates with you today. Maybe not then, but now you understand why they didn't fight back.
1: Yeah, they didn't fight back because they were afraid of, you know, the system that does actually discriminate. And they were afraid to really rock the boat because they were afraid for themselves.
0: Do you think that is changing, though, with younger folks like yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that is changing because I think, many of us realized the level of sacrifice our parents uh, had to put so we could grow up into outstanding human beings. And and sometimes that could be a bad thing for some of us because it's a lot of pressure on us too. Mm. And mm. I, you know, my parents um, at the end of the day, because they were going through all of those fears is why they pushed me and my brother so much on our education our personal lives. They were kind of helicopter parents, which was also (laughs) not very good. (laughs) Um, Because I think uh, one thing when you're growing, when you come here, right, as a young child, you're, we're, we're really, I mean, I wasn't born here, but I am an ABCD. I'm, you know, I have to juggle between like my um, friends, my American quote unquote life where, you know, I, 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 want to be normal I want my life to Hmm. be like every other person's life just like normal and then going home it's like all you have to it's a whole different world
0: let's talk about that a little more you are navigating two different worlds as you mentioned and for me the idea of belonging is always very intriguing I've grappled with it but then I've also reconciled with the fact that I am an insider outsider right I came here as an adult I um, am pretty much part of this society but I also bear so many traits from my Pakistani background and roots but for somebody like you who basically grew up here and I see that with my kids as well the sense of belonging is much more complex and nuanced than it is for us. How do you find your sense of belonging?
1: I think for me, the sense of belonging that I find here is being a immigrant child living in Queens. Queens is, Queens hmm. is the best place on earth. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is one of the most beautiful places on earth because it's so diverse and it's yeah. and and we have people from all over the world living here. And so my district especially is one of those dist- districts where you could go, you know, within blocks of each other, within maybe a few stops of on the train, uh you have a synagogue, a mosque, a, a Hindu temple, uh-huh. um all kinds of Temple, you know, all kinds of people, all kinds of religious groups in one place. And so, growing up here, that was really interesting. That's where I found my sense of belonging, is knowing that I wasn't the only one with helicopter parents. I wasn't the only one confused about my culture versus, uh, you know, being more American. Like, it is something that me and my friends, all of us kind of struggled with together. And that was what was fascinating and what was um, comforting me, is that yeah. my um, Asian American, my Chinese, Korean uh, friends are essentially going through the same experience as me, a South yeah. Asian, or like my other fellow South Asians who are also dealing with similar incidents. And that's when you know you start to like like things like Russell Peters, for example, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like or yeah. b- uh, bond over Amy Tan, um, whose books oh, are amazing yeah. and great for uh, when you're an immigrant.
0: That makes so much sense. And I was actually looking at your Twitter and I am pivoting a little here. And what I noticed about your Twitter feed, Mumisa, is that you don't just focus on national issues, right? Um, Whether it's policy initiatives or um, other issues that people are facing here, you talk about issues outside the U.S., which is such a refreshing change because most people, especially politicians here, are very limited in their knowledge of the outside. Despite the U.S. having such a huge impact um, on the outside world, um, you've talked about farmers in India, you've talked about I think you recently talked about um, fire in factory in Dhaka. There's so much that you talk about. Why do you think it's important for anybody running for office to have that holistic perspective? And how does that change um, your idea of how you want to see America in the future? And what is your vision?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think it's really important because, look, we're standing on stolen land. This is uh, this is a land that was stolen from the indigenous people, and so it is an immigrant country. And we can't undo the past, but what we have to do is honor the honor the people that have died, right? That America has stolen from. And one, I think, in some ways, the redemption is that we are an immigrant country. That means all immigrants are welcome Mm -hmm. here, and each of us have. A different perspective. Each of us come from places where, um, yes, our policies here do matter mm. over there, mm. right? Mm. And so I think that it's important for us to pay attention to what's going on in other countries in the world because um, so many of us come from all over the world and we bring those perspectives with us. And in return, because America has so much power, right, and it's sort of exactly. like the world's um, bodyguard in some way, <laughs> um, or you know, it's a power player, um, and so we can actually shape the policies. We have an opportunity to shape the policies here, make it more base it around human. base it more around human rights, because right. we're we're an immigrant country. And so many of us come from other places. So I like to think of America as like a place where the citizens of the world sort of unite.
0: That's such an interesting perspective. Talking about that and how America impacts other countries, um, I want to talk about climate change. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I've seen how much of advocacy, your advocacy is focused on that. And that ties back to your roots in Bangladesh, right? Um, you've talked about rising sea levels in Bangladesh and how that's going to impact. So when it comes to climate change, what is our current system and how do you envision change in that? And how do you propose, we basically fix it? And I know this is a very tough question. I mean, you don't have, nobody has an answer to how to fix it, but at least give us some roadmap to what we can do on our end.
1: Yeah. So I think that Climate change is the biggest crisis um, in the world, and this is this is where we can really come together. I mean, even if you look at the pandemic, it is a result of climate change. Scientists mm-hmm. have warned us that due to climate change and deforestation, there's going to be more um, human interactions with animals, and there's a possibility of pandemics, right, like new diseases Um coming out of the woodworks. Uh, And we've crossed 400 ppm of carbon monoxide in our atmosphere. The polar ice caps are melting. There's coastal flooding and strong storms. I mean, even in New York, look at the weather. (laughs) Like, it's winter, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And so I think, well, the thing that we need to change is, like, literally our thinking. Because we Mm. think about um, climate change and, like, what we're doing. So much of the focus is around, like... You know, little things that, yes, if everybody did it, it would make sense, like recycling. But at the same time, mm. it's like you can't get everybody to do it. I, I'm not saying I'm, yeah. not, I'm against recycling, just so you know. What I'm no, saying that's a is point. that that's
0: a great recycling yeah.
1: came out of it's a PR scheme that came out mm. of um, the fossil fuel industry realizing that they are, in fact, causing climate change. And people Mm. were outraged in the 60s or 70s about it, and they were scared. Mm. So what they did was they um, had their lobbyists, they invented this PR scheme of, you know, it's and shifting the onus from them Mm. to the public, saying, well, if you recycled... It wouldn't matter if we made bottles and if we used plastics, as long as you recycle. And so that's just one example. And that's why I say system change, because I think we need to re-envision how we address the climate crisis, right? And that means completely divesting from fossil fuels. And fossil fuel is everywhere. Like even exactly. our heating in our buildings, mm. that's fossil fuel. Um, Con Edison uses fossil fuel. So what I'm demanding or I'm asking is that we completely divest from it while investing in a historic amount of resources into renewable energy, retrofitting of older buildings and mass transit, making mm-hmm. transportation available so that people aren't using cars, right? They're not driving right. as much, Um Things like that, like changes that are going to, one, benefit society because transportation, Mm. more transportation, better transportation is always good for the economy and also the climate.
0: But have you seen backlash? Because I sometimes feel like progressive ideals and progressive policy initiatives make so much sense, right? They are common sense. They are for everyone. And yet people are, they're not resonating with the majority, or at least people think they are not. Do you see that pushback with what you're proposing in terms of climate change? Because what you're saying makes so much sense to me. And honestly, what you talked about um, with regards to recycling, it's interesting, and I didn't know about that. So do you see that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's just going to take time because it's um, a lot of... like. You know, something like recycling, for example, right? Mm. <laughs> now mm-hmm. I love recycling. I recycle all the time. Just <laughs> want to put that out there, the disclaimer. Um, but it, it's something that everybody, so many people, are used to. So if you if you go to someone who is used to abuse, it's almost like Stockholm syndrome for many people when right. they hear progressive ideas, because it's like people are aren't just used to it because we yeah. live in a system. And for decades, we've lived in this system of very, um, you know, capitalist ideas. And that's that's part of the reason why Donald Trump was elected, because he was a household name for such a long time that people didn't realize they couldn't even wake up to what he was. Right. Similarly, that's we have a situation where people are just so like consumed in this like with this like materialism and with like. Uh, this world of like advertisement and I like to just call it capitalism because that's Mm. what it is right like we're so ingrained Mm -hmm -hmm. in 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 that in that culture of consumerism right it's everywhere that we're like any idea that critiques it or says like this is not how it should be is taken as like some pie in the sky like crazy talk it's not because if you look at other parts of the world Right? Like we've seen, yeah. like something like healthcare, Medicare for all, giving everybody access to healthcare for free is not a
0: radical, crazy idea. That's just like common sense. So here's my question. How do you stay optimistic in, in the face of political elitism and centrism within Democratic Party? Biden has one that's wonderful, but some of his picks are so disappointing, to say the least.
1: I stay optimistic because, one, I organize locally. And I'll hmm. tell you one thing, it's definitely it's definitely worth it because for me sometimes national politics can be like overwhelming. So this is why I focus so much on local issues. Um and I say this because I I, I my background is in national organizing. Um I was very much involved in Bernie Sanders' campaign. Uh, starting a movement of millennials running for you know millennials uh supporting him and i worked with a group that came up with the hashtag feel the burn <laughs> so yeah. oh, um, we are you know that's my background but over the years i've just sort of like focused on local issues and that's that's how i stay optimistic because i think that um one one thing that one good thing that came out of um this whole you know horrible ordeal of four years Mm. of Trump uh, is that so many people have decided to come out and get involved and fight, Mm. fight for their Mm. rights and fight for our rights. And that's what gives me hope is that people aren't going to go back to sleep, that we're going to continue to advocate for issues that matter to us um, to help working class people. And the pandemic isn't going away. And so people Mm. are going to look for drastic changes. Um, So if the Biden camp doesn't deliver, they're going to have to answer, right? And that's why I'm optimistic. I think we have a strong enough movement that could hold them accountable.
0: What would accountability look like? What form will it take?
1: I think it depends. But for starters, it would be nice to have People from the progressive, from like the progressive uh, side of politics, like AOC and Bernie Sanders, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, like Jamal Bowman, like all of these newly elected um, to have a position in Biden administration, making sure that we're not putting. Um, some an executive of BlackRock, right? A, f- hmm. a company that invested millions into climate destruction in positions right. of power.
0: But for me, the things like that are happening, though. And that's what disappoints me the most. I am like, how do we stop? I was having this conversation with my husband the other day, and I am one of those people who just gets walked up, like just browsing through Twitter. And he was like, you know, you just can't do that to yourself. You have to take action. And I'm like, you know what? My platform is in action, right? It's advocacy platform. But what else can we do as constituents? Like, who should I call if I am not happy with Biden's picks uh, for his administration? Where should I go?
1: Yeah, I think for that specifically, um, I think what you're doing is great. This advocacy work and amplifying people like me, right, who are trying to mm-hmm. go in and change the way things change the status quo. And like with the Biden administration, I mean, I don't know if we have much power, like we could obviously like um, talk about it and collectively um, (laughs) moan about it, right? What needs to happen is we really need, change comes from the bottom up. And Mm. this is why I do what I do. Like even locally, I started a group called the New Reformers Pack which is dedicated to electing everyday people into party positions. Because if we're thinking about the Democratic Party, it is a corporation, right? It is an entity and it is something that we we have to yeah. change it from the bottom, like from its core. If We wanted to um, do what we wanted, right? To represent true working class people. And so I've realized that because I went through the same thing that you did, where I was super frustrated and just sick of it and tired. And I realized that locally, there's all these positions like county committee, um, district leader, um, judicial delegate. These are very important positions that have immense power over our day-to-day lives. So for example, I ran for district leader because I realized that you know, I'm marching in the streets, then I get arrested, then I can't march for six months because I'm, hmm. you know, I, I, if I do and they arrest me again, I'll get a felony. Like right now, I, I, I still don't know what the situation is with my arrest um, <laughs> for breaking curfew. Direct action is really, honestly, direct action is one of the most effective ways of getting change because you're directly confronting the powers, right, that be. Yeah. Um, but for other people, what we should be doing and can be doing is running for these positions like district leader. District leader, for example, has picks the judges in local yeah. civil court. If we had judges in civil court that were more lenient, right, that, that were more hmm. um. Them sympathetic to the cause. And so that's why I ran for district leader. So, and it's an unpaid party position. That's something you could do. You could run for a local position That's uh, that doesn't take too much of your time and doesn't
0: require hmm. too much of your money. So you've been endorsed by Cynthia Nixon. What does that mean to you? What does that endorsement do for you?
1: I mean, she's great. I know everybody knows her to be this uh, big time Hollywood actor, but I know her to be a friend, um, an educate badass education activist who's actually very um, in tuned with local politics for a celebrity of her stature to like pay Mm. attention to what's going on locally. That's something we need from all of our celebrities. Mm. Like she's amazing. She's actually uh, paying attention to every race that's happening in New York. Um, She's also she knows. The activists like myself who are on the ground Ah. doing the work and, um, you know, I have immense respect for her and just having her endorsement meant a lot to me because uh, I worked for her. You know, it was it was um, it definitely made my week (laughs) because sometimes campaigning can be so much up and down. Like I realized that even it's like a pageantry, it's almost like getting married (laughs) 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 like you're you're it it can be very like it can be very um scary
0: (laughs) yeah so what do you do for mental health because you've mentioned it a few times and I'm sure it must be exhausting you've talked about the exhaustion and the you know the fatigue that sets in is there a routine that you follow is there a self-care routine
1: Yeah, I I definitely try to um, turn off my phone and things like that after a certain point, just so I can um, focus on other things. I also, for me, I don't like self-care is just really talking to other people and getting to know them and my district. Like what makes me happy is when I'm able to focus on the people in my district and people that are affected, um, that are impacted voters that, you know, I love talking to folks and learning about what they're going through and speaking to them and trying to, you know, inspire them to come out and vote and fight for themselves, things like that. So I mean, it's it's kind of hard because we have a special election, so there isn't much time yeah. for self-care. But what I do is once in a while, I'll, I'll go out and go hiking. Um, I love nature. I, I just feel so refreshed anytime I go and hike and I'm like surrounded by trees and mountains or whatever, like, and the just the, the quiet, right? The quiet reprieve yeah. of nature is just like... Um, it just cleanses my soul and like massages my <laughs> brain. I love it. Um, and sometimes I'll even like, honestly go outside and it's kind of silly, but I'll hug a tree. <laughs> like I'll literally hug oh, a tree nice. for five, 10 minutes and I'll feel, it. it feels so good to, to do that. And it, it grounds you or like, I'll, I'll touch the ground, you know, I'll touch like the, the earth and just kind of like Feel its energy. Um, (laughs) It actually really helps um, calm me down. And I do try to take some days off. Um, This Thanksgiving, for example, I did spend time with my family. So that was a little bit of self care. Or I like to glam up, (laughs) look good, so that I feel confident. That's a form of self care.
0: So I don't know if you know about this show, but I recently binge watched um, this Bollywood show. It's called, it's on Netflix. It's called Fabulous Lives of Bollywood Wives. It's mindless mayhem, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it. I feel like that's my self-care routine. And anything Bollywood, sign me up, count me in, because I grew up watching Bollywood movies, right? Have you seen it?
1: Yeah, I I watched it too. I was really happy that um, uh, Maheep took all everybody to the beach and they were yeah. cleaning, they were doing the beach cleanup. And I was like, that's not something you see in Hollywood wives. Like these, at least these wives are a little bit more woke than. <laughs>
0: Although what they were wearing is debatable, but you know, it's still, they they made an effort and that's important. So Momita, your election is in February next year. We'll be releasing this episode in December. We are already in December. Where can people find information about your campaign and how can they support?
1: Yeah, so people can find information about my campaign by going to www.votemomita.com and my name is spelled M-O-U-M-I-T-A. Um, and then sign up to volunteer. We're going to be phone banking. We're we're also doing, um, we're encouraging people to um, host Zoom calls with friends to help fundraise for the campaign. Um, because one good thing about city council is that every dollar that you donate to a candidate gets mm. matched by the city. So if you give, oh. give. Uh, $10 to my campaign, the city will give back $90, 10 times 880 plus that original $9. So it's really, it just makes it easy for everybody to participate. And when you put in five bucks on a campaign, you're yeah. invested. And yeah. everyone, right, like for the most part, can chip in 3 to $4, $5 to $10, right? And so when So I kind of come from the same philosophy of Bernie Sanders and other progressives where I want to spend more time with communities that are impacted, right, talking to everyday people. So I'm asking everyone to contribute a very small dollar donation, but, you know, from as many people as possible. So and I can... You know, with only twenty one thousand dollars, I can run a very competitive race because that mm-hmm. is the maximum that the city will match, which is a hundred around one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. So, if you know folks want to donate, folks Absolutely. want to volunteer, um, I'm not gonna say no. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> this is the first city council race, and if elected, I would be the first South Asian.
0: So, in the end, if you were to describe America in a word or a sentence? How would you do that?
1: Uh, (laughs) Oh gosh. Um, I would describe it as a country for immigrants. We're all immigrants here and we are all citizens. Well, I would actually describe it as like the country of the world um, because I come from the borough of the world. We have to have a worldly view, worldly perspective, and not be so narrow with our Mm. selves, with our thinking.
0: Thank you for doing what you're doing and best of luck with the election. And I hope listeners can support you. And we will be posting links to your website, your campaign site, so that listeners can just go click and donate.
1: I'm honored. (laughs) Thank you for having me.
0: I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Momita. Now, some of you may be thinking she is a progressive and I'm a centrist or she is a Democrat and I'm a Republican. So why should I support her? Here's the thing, guys. Look at the issues. Look at what she is really fighting for. And if you believe in issues, if you think everybody should have access to healthcare, affordable housing, education, then support her. No two ways about it. Next week, I'm doing an episode on Christmas and how people who did not celebrate Christmas growing up have adopted the practice, whether it's cultural or religious. It's an interesting episode. And if you've made it thus far, you've probably heard my rant at the beginning. Don't forget to support us. Until next time, take care and stay safe.